You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Welcome everyone to Sunday School. No better place to be on a Sunday morning than right in this very room. So I just want to welcome you guys. We're so glad that you're here. Um, there's some, if you're new, we just want to welcome you. We're just so glad that you're here. Um, there's some cards on your table, so if you want to take time to fill that out, uh, we'd love to get to know you a little bit better. Um, I think Joe will talk about that a little bit more, but you can bring your card uh, out to the back uh, when you leave, and we'll have a nice little gift for you guys. But we're really glad that you're here. And um, in a minute, we'll just take some time. If you don't know some of the people around you, we'd love for you to get to know uh, people around you. Uh, I forgot to introduce myself. Um, I'm Erin Meadows. I'm not just a random person. <laughs> well, I am kind of a random person, but um, I work for uh, New Life Friday Night slash The Mill. Um, and love, love, love it here. Anyway, so I wanted to read uh, a scripture. We're going to be talking a little bit more uh, this week about legalism. So I just want to read from Galatians 6, uh, 1 through 10. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So I just want to pray for us. Lord, we just thank you so much for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that you lead us and you direct us in the right way. God, you know the world that we live in today and how it's um, crooked and perverse and there's so many things that are going on around us that go totally contrary to what you desire, to your truth, to your life. And so I just pray um, for the people here in this room that your spirit would be so filling them more and more every day that they would say no to the things of the world. God, that they would long for holiness, that they would long for purity, not because they have to, because it's in the law, uh, but because they have a desire to see you and to know you more fully. God, it tells us that our eyes and and our ears are the windows to our heart. And so we just pray that, I just pray that, um, that you would help us to put more and more of your word, more and more of your truth, more and more of who you are into our hearts and into our life because you are the way um, everlasting, that you are the way that we want to go. So Jesus, um, just as you prayed uh, to the Father um, so long ago, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. God, I pray that for each person in this room, that they would be one and united with your heart, that they would hunger and desire and seek after holiness and righteousness and purity um, so that they would walk more and more in the fullness of what you have for their lives. So um, we just pr- I just pray that hearts would be open today and that, um, that as Joe brings forth uh, the word this morning, that it would go forth with power and with authority and with boldness um, and with life and with hope and with love. Uh, So we just give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise in your name, Jesus. Amen. So just take a little time to get to know some of the people around you, and um, Joe is right here. All right. Let me, uh, as you finish up meeting and greeting, I'll tell you a story. Anybody like stories? Okay. This is a story about accountability, kind of, and about legalism, kind of. 
Uh, it's back when I was a college student, and me and a friend were kind of in this accountability relationship. We were both kind of semi-leaders of our own college ministry. It was very small, maybe 10 people or so, and we wanted to keep each other accountable, and I think what we did more often than keeping each other accountable was just annoying each other. Um, but he, he came to me one time and said, Joe, I need you to keep me accountable. Um, I've been going to clubs. He, he said he went to clubs uh, to dance, uh, and he said, you know, sometimes I get to dancing with girls, and we go too far. And he said he actually kissed a girl he didn't even know on the dance floor, and I'm like, bro, that's dumb. Stop that. And he's like, yeah, no, I need to stop, and you stop going to, to dance clubs and dancing, and would you help keep me accountable to that? Would you ask me how I'm doing and making sure I'm not going? I said, sure, I'll keep you accountable. And then it wasn't like five days later, it's on a Sunday morning, I overhear him talking to another guy bragging about dancing last night. So I come up to him, I was like, bro, didn't, didn't you just ask me to keep you accountable to not going to, to, to dance clubs? He's like, yeah, bro, but listen, bro, don't be a legalist, bro. I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I made a different decision. I'm going to go, and I'm not going to do anything dumb anymore. But, you know, just don't be a legalist. He, like, totally threw the legalist card at me, like, not a literal card, but, like, that card. It said, you know, don't, that's legalistic. Don't be legalistic. I can do what I want, which was just so weird because, like, just a couple days before, he asked me to keep him accountable. So it was annoying for me and, and I think he knew that, like, throwing out the legalist card annoyed me. And we, we kind of got, we were, like, really good friends. And you know how you can get on each other's nerves if you're really good friends. And then fast forward, we, him and I uh, planned to do this, like, fasting day. And, like, him and I decided, okay, we're, we're just going to do water only for this day. We're going to go up into the mountains and, and bring uh, some people from the college ministry. And we're going to have, like, this time of worship, like extended worship, campfire, hang out before the Lord and fast. And then break the fast at sun, sundown with communion and then to share a meal together. Sweet. Sounds good. And him and I were like, okay, let's keep each other accountable. We're only going to drink water, uh, no food, no other drinks. And it's sweet. So we get into the car and it wasn't like three seconds later, he pulls out a soda and he cracks it open. I was like, bro, what are you doing? Like, we just talked about this. We said water only. He's like, yeah, bro, don't be a legalist. I was like, this is such a weird, he knew that like I was annoyed when he called me a legalist. He, and I'm sure I, I was annoying him by like picking on his uh, failures but it's like it's just this relationship that was just so weird and awkward. We were great friends, but we'd always I would pick out sins, and he wanted me to keep him accountable. But then he would change his mind. It was just like a weird thing. So, anyways, today we're talking about uh, how to correct a brother or sister in the Lord, and we're talking about legalism is our bigger topic this month. And if you do this poorly, if you take what I'm teaching today and do it poorly well, then you're going to be accused very often of being a legalist, and that is not the point. So anyways, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. Officially, like Aaron Meadow said, if you're new, there's cards on the table. You could fill one of those out. It's the same card that will, if you go to the Guest Central, if you're new to New Life, it's the same card here as it goes uh, over in the main building. We'll give you a gift. It's uh, our senior pastor's book and, and like a magazine information about the church. Uh, also, if you're new, you might not know that we go to the second service together usually. Um, 
the 11 o'clock service, and we usually sit in section 10. So if you're new, invite yourself along with the train of people going to section 10, and uh, you won't be lost over there. It's quite a big service, and so we want you to be with people. And finally, groups. Um, on the back table, I think there's uh, a list of groups for you, and they are. I just printed them out this week. It's uh, Some of them are new groups. They're mill college and 20-something small groups, either peer-led by college and 20-somethings, or uh, I guess like other people like in their 50s, like old people lead them. But uh, they're great groups, every one of them. I know all the leaders. So uh, check one out if you're interested in finding a group. You should. We highly encourage that. So anyways, those are announcements. Uh, Let's talk about legalism. I've been saying as a joke, uh, legalism rules. (laughs) But it doesn't, of course. We've defined legalism as a very bad thing. These last couple weeks, if you've been around We've put this slide up a couple times now. You've, you've seen it a couple times if you've been coming. We said that legalism type 1 and type 2, there's two different types of legalism. Type 1 legalism, they're both very dangerous. They're vo- both not good uh, things to, to be into. And I would say type 1 is even more dangerous. It's attempting to obtain salvation or keep salvation by the excessive keeping of rules and holiness codes. So if you talk to someone who is uh, says, you know, oh, God, why does God love you? Well, God loves me because I'm such a good person. I, I do this and that. It's like, well, no, that's really, the Christian message is that's not how it works. Jesus paid the debt for you to, to be free of sin. And it's not how good or bad you are. It's how you have received the gospel message. And Christ alone gives you the freedom from sin, not your own. You can't do that on your own. So type one legalism, very dangerous. Type two, also very dangerous. Um, it's another type where Christians keep certain rules and regard other Christians. So this one is like pointing the finger at someone else who does not keep their level of holiness with contempt. And I think if we create a culture of this type two, if we become a culture at New Life or Mill Sunday School of like pointing out the sins of others, well, if we create a type two culture, then we're going to get a lot of type one people who think, oh, if I just keep the rules, then I'll be saved. And people will see that of us. And that is not the case. That is not how salvation works. And so this is somewhat of a review from last time. We put up this slide last time and said, well, what is the difference between judging others and correcting other Christians? And all last week, we spent the whole time talking about do not judge. Don't do it. I know I have been guilty as a pastor of preaching on like Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, do not judge, and speaking for like 5% of the time on do not judge, and then 95% of the time on, well, here's how to judge when you have to. I've been guilty of that. Um, But I wanted to get a whole sermon under our figurative belts last week that just said, do not judge, do not do it, don't do it. And so this week, what about the other side of that? What um, What about the balance to the correcting other Christians and looking at the community of Christ and wanting it to be holy. Here's an image of the law. Uh, the Ten Commandments, just a picture of the num- ten numbers and uh, commandments under each one. This idea of keeping rules and laws, I'm going to read a, read a sentence, tell a story, then reread the sentence, and it should make a lot of sense to you. Um, the following of rules and laws is not how we get into the kingdom. It's not how we get into the family, following rules and laws but it shows we are in the family. It shows we are in the kingdom of God. For instance, uh, I have uh, a family, wife, two little boys, and at our house, we have lots of rules on what they can do, bedtimes, what they can eat, what they can't eat, 
just different rules in our house. You could, you can bite food, but you can't bite people is another rule that gets said a lot. Um, for Jay, he bites Rowan for some reason. Um, <clears throat> anyways, there's rules, and we follow the rules in our household because we're in the family. But it's not by following the rules that we are any more family or not. Another way to put it would uh, be if I was to go over to someone else's house. Let's say, Glenn, Glenn, you guys know Glenn Packiam? This is kind of his sermon analogy, so I'll use him as, as an example. If I was to go over to Glenn Packiam's house and start telling his kids what to do, it's like, hey, kids, brought this Ziploc bag of broccoli. New rule, you're going to eat it. <laughs> or like telling them what time bedtime is. Glenn would just be like, dude, get out of my house. This is weird. <laughs> like, your role is not to set the rules for my household. But my role as a dad is to set the rules for my household. And as a Christian and a, and a husband and a father, like one of my roles is to set rules and to judge my kids, to correct them, to rebuke them, to train them in righteousness. And so, for instance, here's Jay Boy, here's our oldest son holding a little book. Uh, I told him to smile, and that, the kids always make the funniest faces when you tell them to smile. Um, but that's him smiling, holding a little Psalm 23 book. And he uh, is memorizing Psalm 23. How many of you memorized that as a kid? Anybody? A couple hands. Sweet. So the Lord, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He uh, makes me lie down in green pastures. He, he leads me quiet, quiet waters. And then he gets to like this point where he wants to change the words. And he says, Dada, can I change the words? And he says things like, uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of poop, I will fear no evil. It's like, what? No, you can't change the words. That's a rule we have. And, <laughs> and it's hard sometimes as a parent because, like, that's actually pretty funny that he changed. The, where Andy's potty training, so just the, the theme of poop comes out quite a bit uh, in his thinking. <clears throat> and, and I say, Jay, no, we don't change the words. We're not allowed to change the words. And I want to teach him a respect for the Word of God. And so he continues uh, he says things like, you prepare a table of poop before my enemies. And says, nope, don't change the words. You change the words one more time, you're going to get a timeout. He said, okay. So he continues. And he said, you anoint my head with... <laughs> that's it, timeout. So he gets timeout for changing the words. And that's, that's my role as a dad, to, to correct him and to try to teach a respect for the Word of God and for memorizing the Word of God and not changing the words to incorporate poop. That's just not, we don't do that. So that is my role as a father, to correct and to judge that situation and to, to train him, to correct him. And I think we as other people in this world, we as Christians in this world, do have um, the, the responsibility, not just the right, but the responsibility to do something when we see evil happening. This uh, YouTube, many of you have probably seen it the last couple of weeks, like has blown up. It's it's pretty horrible video of a person just beating the snot out of this lady uh, who's laying down, just punching her in the face. And the only person that comes to help is this toddler. And that's kind of the description of the video, and it's gone viral. And at some points in this video, raise your hand if you, have you seen this video? No? Just me? I'm the only one who watches YouTube viral videos? All right, anyways. Um, you don't have to go watch it. It's a pretty horrible video to watch somebody getting beaten up like this. And what's even more horrible is that the person holding the phone, like you could call 911, but instead you're filming. And then at one point, a couple points, uh, it kind of gets a, a pan shot of like what else is going on in this park or wherever they're at. And there's tons of people just 
looking on and seeing this. And news articles have come out, and it's like, where are we at as a society where we could see one person just beating another person helplessly in the face, on the ground, and, and not stopping it, not doing anything, but just watching it or taking out our cell phones to film it. Um, and, and how this new, even secular news media saying, you know, where are we as a society that this is happening? This is not right. Someone should have, anyone who was there should have done something. Um, and so we have a right, we have a responsibility to stop evil. There's a very famous quote. It's often attributed to different people. I think I found the original source is Edmund Burke, a uh, Irish political philosopher. And he said, all it takes for evil to flourish is for good people to do nothing, or good men is the original quote, to do nothing. That's all it takes for evil to flourish. And so as believers, like what is our role, our right, our responsibility when we see other Christians really messing up and evil happening? Well, all it takes is for that evil to flourish is for good people to do nothing. So I want to give this back to you as a discussion question, get us thinking spiritually and and in the Christian life. Um, Hopefully this is a good topic for you, but Talk about a helpful time, and that's the key word here, uh, one of the key words. Talk about a helpful time that you were spiritually corrected, not you got to correct someone else. That, that'll be a discussion question a little bit later, but someone corrected you, and you it turned out to be a helpful situation. Maybe it was painful in the moment when someone spiritually corrected you, but it ended up being a very good thing for you, for your life, for your spiritual walk when someone came to you and corrected you or rebuked you or judged you. Um, depending on how they did it, but it ended up being helpful. So discuss that at your tables. Ready? Get set. Discuss. Have a mic if anyone would like to share a story that was helpful for the other tables. Um, I would love to hear, I don't know, for all of us. Anybody want to get us started? Anybody? Nobody had a good story? Yes. Okay, I'll, I'll run the mic back here. Thank you. So, I work at a coffee shop, and the other day, one of our regulars came in, and he was talking to us like normal and stuff. And so, I started talking about my career life and how I wanted to go into entertainment and stuff. I didn't want to go into Christian entertainment because I felt like there would be no career. (laughs) And he plainly put me on my butt, gently though, And he kept talking to me, saying that if you're not glorifying God, what are you doing with your life? What are you going to do with your career? You will have no career if you aren't glorifying God. Your whole point as a Christian is to glorify God with everything you do. And he told me, uh, he works on cars a lot, so he always says to himself in the morning, measure twice, cut once. And he told me to apply that to everything you do to uh, glorify God. Think twice before you act once. Good. So it was a, it was a correction, a rebuke that was helpful. Yes. Yeah. Good. Miss Aaron, run the mic over to you. So very early on in my walk, um, I was coming out of a pretty bad time in my life where I didn't know what a filter was. A filter? Like a <laughs> mouth, mouth filter? Yes. So, um, and in my small group at the time, I had a tendency to overshare details and information of my life, and I actually had the male small group leader take me to the side and say, hey, 
what you're doing when you're not being um, selective with who you share your information with, you can actually cause somebody else to stumble in their walk. Sure. And or you can degrade yourself and not you're not glorifying God when you do when you do that. So you need to really be cautious with who you share your heart with. And it was helpful for you. Did you you didn't like throw like you're a legalist? And, may, and maybe in the moment you do throw, you're, it's painful in the moment to throw, to be corrected. But I think most of these stories, I think the stories I heard happened in the past, either recent past or distant past of like looking back on that moment and saying, oh, that was a helpful moment. That was like this verse says, uh, if you're familiar with Psalm 27, 17, anybody know that verse? Yes, quite a few of you know it. Uh, As iron sharpens iron, so one man or one person sharpens another. And you could sharpen knives like that. It's, there's probably better ways with like a stone, but you could take two knives, and I've seen people do it, and, and if you hold them at the right angle, iron will sharpen iron, and two knives will sharpen each other. And I think that's, that's this idea, that's this foundational idea of how and how our responsibility in correcting each other. And there's, of course, a balance that we're going to get to. But that, I think there, to say this, I think some people are in some way, some Christians are waiting and expecting somebody else to, to talk to them and, and are so thankful when that moment comes. And they're like, yes, I've, I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this correction. I've been on a path and I know I'm going down. And thank you so much for stopping it. And it's painful and it hurts at the time. But it's like this relief of like, yes, I do need to change directions. I, was, I had lunch uh, a couple weeks ago with a guy, and somehow we got to talking about accountability. And uh, I've been in this really good accountability relationship with these other two guys, Kevin Pearson and Joe Couch, for like 12 years. We, we meet probably like once a month and have lunch together and talk about life and things. And somehow we were just talking about that and like how, how good that has been for me. And he said, oh, I wish I had that. I could have used that about a year ago. And that's kind of like a, so what happened about a year ago kind of thing. And he said, well, I was really struggling with lust, he said. And he had this habit of going to department stores and with his camera phone and like filming people in the next, like either under or over filming women in the next stall. And he said he was caught and the cops came and he got arrested and he was put in the back of a cop car, read his rights, brought to jail. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like what, what were you thinking in this moment? And he said something pretty profound, um, said something along the lines of what I'm saying now. He said, I felt relieved that, that finally this was, that the struggle was, would be out in the open. And finally this struggle would, would be brought to the surface and I could get help and I could deal with it. He said he felt relieved. And I think that is, it should be our response as Christians when people bring sin to us. Like, yes, you know what? You are right. And we, we heard a few stories. Yeah, you're, you're right. I, I've been corrected. I've been rebuked here. And in the long run, that's going to be helpful. This relief that comes when the sin is revealed to us and a new direction, a new course can be sought. Let me give you a few Bible verses um, about correction. I have a whole list here. And so sometimes when pastors start listing Bible verses, your eyes glaze over. So to try not to just try to stay with me. Write these down. I have the list uh, up here if you uh, get lost, uh, which verse I'm at. Um, but listen to a few of these verses. John 7, 24. 
John 7, 24, Jesus is talking, and Jesus says, Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So in other places, Jesus says, don't judge. Here Jesus is saying, don't judge by mere appearances, but actually do judge correctly. Psalm 27, or Proverbs 27, uh, 27, 6, wounds from a friend can be trusted. When two friends wound each other, like I'm, I'm correcting you, that hurts. That's a wound, but that could be trusted, just like as iron sharpens iron at that psalm. Uh, Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along so that every charge may be established and the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he, if he refuses to listen to them, go tell it to the church. If he refuses to tell it to the church, let him be as a Gentile or a tax collector. And how are you supposed to treat Gentiles and tax collectors? Well, you still love them too, of course. Uh, Galatians 6, ones. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual ought to restore him in all spiritual gentleness. Keep watch over yourselves, lest you too be tempted. If you're correcting someone else, well, you better watch out because you too can be tempted in the same way or tempted in legalism. Uh, let's see, Titus 3.10, as for a person who stirs up division, so someone's just stirring up division, warn him once and then twice and then... Have nothing to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and is self-condemned. So if someone is stirring up dissension, causing problems, warn him once, twice, and then what? Just ignore it. Forget about it. Just, just let them be. I think we as believers, as Christians, uh, can nag on people and, and, and continue to, in like this legalism to, to nag and to nag and to nag. And this verse, at least here, is just saying, you know what, tell them once, twice, and then after that, just kind of ignore it. Don't make a big protest. Don't make big signs and stand in front of their house. Just ignore it. Tell them once, twice, and then kind of be done with it. And final verse, uh, 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word in and out of season and reprove. That reprove word means you could reprimand, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Here's Timothy saying, be ready in and out of season to preach and then to exhort, to rebuke people, to reprimand. Be ready, but in all patience and teaching. And of course, our ultimate source for how we should correct, rebuke, train in righteousness, as the verse says, it's 2 Timothy 3.16, says that Scripture is God-breathed and useful for the teaching, the rebuking, the correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so when we see another Christian or brother or sister so clearly disobeying, murdering, stealing, adultery, teaching heresy, like it is not just our right, but it is our responsibility to say something in all love, in all patience, in all goodness. But I think it's, our, it's not just our right. It's our responsibility to say something because the church should be holy. So what about issues that are... Um, not directly talked about in Scripture. Last time we said we'd talk about this, so here we are talking about marijuana. Does the Bible specifically mention the word marijuana? <laughs> I don't think so. If it does in your Bible, come show it to me. I, I will be corrected. Um, there are verses that say things like uh, some people 
would say, oh, well, the Bible says, like, what is it, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And that's often used for marijuana. Um, I've never heard that verse used for things like cyanide or carbon monoxide or ricin poisoning. It's like, well, the earth is the Lord's. Well, no, not, not. It, is the, it is the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, but there are things that will harm you. There are things um, that are very bad for you, and there are things that are very good for you. And there's things that, um, I think of it like this, like the earth, the Bible does talk about uh, wine. It, I don't think it mentions marijuana specifically. In fact, I've read the Bible a couple times and I can't find it. So, but it does mention drinking and it talks about drunkenness. And as a pastor, uh, I haven't been around to marijuana too much. It's just not my style, I guess. Um, I do live in Manitou, so I, I guess in some ways I have been around it. Um, I've never tried it. I was around, actually, I did work a year of construction with these guys, uh, when I was working on my master's degree in divinity, I worked construction to, to make ends meet, and I have some spending cash. And the guys would, would have a breakfast break in the morning. I would drink a Mountain Dew, and they would all pass a joint around like every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, at like 10 o'clock. And then lunchtime would roll around, and everybody would bring out their bag lunches. And then at the end of lunch, everybody would pass a joint around again. And then around 3 o'clock, 2 or 3 o'clock, we'd have an afternoon break. I would eat a Snickers, they would sit around and all share a joint. And it's like every single day, three times a day. Uh, so I've been around it to, enough to know that people who are high are high. And if there's any kind of comparison with the biblical description of being drunk and being high, I think, I think it's one for one. That is me speaking right now and just saying the text of Scripture is pretty clear about drunkenness. And um, it, it may not say the word marijuana specifically, but I don't know too many people that at the end of their life will be like, man, I'm so glad I wasted all that money and time ignoring the world and being high and separating myself from the reality of uh, the true experience of just being not high. Um, so anyways, that's my take on it. And I think we as Christian brothers and sisters can ask questions. If we see a brother or sister engaging in drunkenness or in a sin we have the right to just ask them, hey, do you think that's wise? You know, long-term picture, like, do, do you think this is good? Do you think this is wise? Um, so that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, here's another discussion question for you. It's kind of the other side of the question you just discussed. And this one is, talk about a time you corrected another believer. So the other discussion question was you being corrected, and it was helpful um, this discussion question is, talk about a time you corrected another believer and it went well. I think so many of us probably have horror stories of bringing up someone else's sin in a way that's, you know, you're trying to be helpful and corrective and, and loving, but it ends up going horribly wrong. But maybe you have some good stories. I have many good stories of bringing, talking to another person in correction and bringing up something in their lives and it went really well and they've thanked me for it. So, that's your discussion question. Ready? Get set. Discuss. Um, I, I was going to go around with a microphone and ask some of your stories, but then I thought, what if the story is about like somebody else? Like, oh yeah, this one time I had to rebuke Adam Molesky, and it, <laughs> like, it could turn into a really weird like gossip session. So I'm not going to pass the mic around, uh, having just thought about that. Um, but that we as the church are called to be holy. 
Let's, if, we, if we go back into church history, which is in some ways kind of a nerdy thing to do, so here's your nerd alert for the day. Um, I know you like making the noises, so that's why I do it for you. If we go back to the Nicene Creed, the Council of Nicaea, try not to let your eyes glaze over. This is important history stuff. Um, we have the Nicene Creed on our website. If you go to newlifechurch.org, click on Statement of Belief, well, you'll see the Nicene Creed there. You'll see some other things, too, about specifics about who we are as a church. But our belief system comes from this creed that came from the first ecumenical council uh, way back in 325 A.D. That's a long time ago. Um, and then there was a, another ecumenical council in 381, just a few years later, where the creed in its entirety as it is now printed on our website. And if you go into, like, how many of you were, uh, go to Friday night service? Lots of you? Uh, if, when you go into the Friday night service in the theater, there's a big sign that's, that has the Nicene Creed. It's a statement of what we have believed as Christians since a very early time in our history. And the, the story of the Nicene Creed and the council is pretty cool. Christianity was legalized. The emperor at the time, Constantine, pulls this council together of all the bishops from every known Christian city in the world to come, a bishop or two representing uh, the city comes, and they decide what it is we believe in creed form. Let's form a creed. And many of you can say this creed by heart. We, we say it around New Life. It's on our website. I already said, um, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, all that is seen and unseen. And then it continues on to talk about Jesus, who God is. And then towards the end, it talks about what the church is. This is one line that says that we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, that the church is one, it's unified, it's holy, that we are as a believers like called apart to live holy to the Lord. And it's Catholic or universal, that it is uh, in unity, it is one church, it's not two, it's not three, it's not tons of divisions, but a one body, one bride of God, of Christ. So it's universal. And finally, it's apostolic, that we Believe in the teachings of the apostles, the right teachings of the apostles passed on by Jesus to the apostles and Scripture to us. And that one, the, the thing that I want to point us to is that, that we believe the church is holy. That's that word in there, one of the four words. And we as a church body are called to make ourselves holy. And that does require when, um, and this is so hard as to when this happens, but it does require some sort of judgment of other believers. And I think it's often best done when it's not just one person judging another person, but when the church itself, when the community, when the authority of the church is involved. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 5, uh, deals with this issue happening in Corinth, and it's a pretty horrible issue. Um, he says that um, verse 5, or verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, so this Corinth city, this ancient Greek city, Paul writes to them and he hears that it's reported that there's sexual immorality among you and the kind that even pagans don't tolerate. And he says this, a man is sleeping with his father's wife. Ew, exactly right. Ew. And we could say, we could infer that his father's wife is his mother-in-law or mother, a stepmom, I guess. Or we can infer, the text is not that clear, he could be sleeping with his own mother. Ew, again. Um, so that's happening. E either way, it's horrible. Whether it's your stepmom or it's your mom, bro, 
That's horrible. It doesn't even happen amongst the pagans. Um, and for some reason, the church is like, okay with this. They're like, oh, well, grace, you know, God's grace covers blah, blah, blah. And Paul says, basically, he, he, he gets down to this line and says, kick this man out of the church. Expel this wicked person from among you. Get him out of there. It's pretty harsh. It's pretty judgmental of that church to kick this person out of the church. But Paul says, do it. Judge them. Correct them. Rebuke them. And I think about the, uh, a quote that's on the back of your, um, your notes today, and I spelled his name wrong. It's Stanley Hauerwas, and I, I spelled it how I would want to spell it, but it's a very German spelling, so it's, not, it's spelled with an A-U. Anyways, he says this, Stanley Hauerwas, a very famous uh, Christian theologian, he um, says this about excommunication. So the ultimate judge of a church, the judging of a church would be to kick someone out. And I've been around New Life for... Uh, gosh, 15 years or so now um, as, as, as an attender and then on staff. And I've only seen someone be kicked out of the church a few times in those 15 years. But here's why we do it. Here's what happens when this is done. And I, I like this quote. Daniel Grothy um, mentioned this quote, and I looked it up, and sure enough, Stanley Hauerwas, a great theologian, said it. He says, Excommunication is not to throw someone out of the church, but rather an attempt to help them see that they have become a stumbling block and are therefore already out of the church. Excommunication is a call to come home. It's like if we view correcting like that, correcting to the point of asking someone to leave a church, or let's say you have a small group and you decide to come talk to a pastor and this person, for whatever reason, needs to be kicked out of the group, it's not just to judge them and to kick them out and to make fun of them and point our fingers at them. It's ultimately to, to correct them in such a way that they will want to come back. They will know the gravity of their situation. So in conclusion, I, th- I just thought about like this, this idea of how to judge. We've been pretty broad um, in, our, in our talk today about judging and correcting and training and rebuking. And I think... Um, we need to be very slow to do so. This is like kind of a, the other side. This is last week's message being mixed in with today. Um, that, that we don't judge, but, but when we have the responsibility to correct, how should we do so? Well, we should do it like this. I found a picture of a slow cooker whose brand name happens to be Judge. <laughs> how appropriate. Um, we should judge very, very, very slowly with all patience, with all humility. I think about how Jesus came to this earth, a very serious picture next of him washing the feet of his disciples. Jesus, we believe he was God. And he says this, this line, he says, I did not come uh, to be served, but I came to serve. It's like, well, you're God. We should be serving you. And Jesus, God, man, divine, human, on this earth, says, you know, I didn't come here to be served, but I, I, I came to serve, to wash people's feet, literally, um, figuratively. And here's this image, an icon of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And I wanted to end today's message. I've ended the last two Sunday schools um, by reading this verse. Um, maybe you have it memorized by now. We've, we've read it and been thinking about it. I've been thinking about it all week. 
Once again, this story where Jesus sees people who are righteous in their own sight. To some who were confident in their own righteousness, Jesus looked down, and, and no, to, to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance, would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, rather uh, this man, the, the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's bow our heads and, and pray and take a moment to slow our hearts and, and God, maybe some of us in here are thinking about someone else's sin, like, oh, I need to go talk to them and, and correct them, when, Lord, maybe you are reminding us of our own sin, our own correction. Lord, you are the ultimate corrector. You are the ultimate judge, the, the true, the perfect, the loving judge who will judge every one of our lives. And Lord, would, would you do something in our own hearts that we would be... Um, the first to judge ourselves, not to point a finger at someone else, not to remove a, a speck of dust from someone else's eye when we have a plank in our own eye, the parable you gave when you were on earth about judging. But Lord, give us humility. Lord, if there are situations that we need to talk to a fellow believer about, would you give us all humility, all patience, all slowness when we come before them to, to present a correction? Lord, you are an ultimate uh, God who loves us, cares for us, and is patient with us. So God, we want to reflect you in how we um, live our lives. So we worship you, we praise your holy name, you're a good God, and everybody said, amen. All right, friends, ending just a tad early, so go in peace. Peace out, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.